Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky back with you. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good, man. It's, it, look, it's, it's a great day. we got a good football weekend. I know you got stuff uh, all weekend, so it should be fun. It should be an exciting weekend. Yeah, I'm uh, as you can tell, I'm not at home. I'm uh, I'm in a hotel room in in Las Vegas. Got uh, as we're recording this on Thursday, we've got uh, a Chargers Raiders Thursday night, uh, and then I'm heading out to uh, I'm heading out to Dallas. My daughter's graduating from Dallas Baptist on Friday, uh, so life comes at you fast. A lot of stuff going on, squeezing it all in here uh, this week. But I'm excited about this episode because speaking of Las Vegas, uh, I want to bring in our guest here. We've got Dave Ziegler is going to join us. Uh, coming off uh, his tenure as the general manager of the Raiders, but a longtime uh, personnel executive working uh, most of the time with the New England Patriots. Uh, a lot of success, a full trophy case. Uh, I'm sure he's, he's got a, <laughs> a, a safety box full of uh, some jewelry. But uh, we're excited to bring in Dave, um, get a chance to talk to him uh, about you know team building, some of the things he's learned throughout the years, and, uh, and see if we can't uh, learn a, a little something uh, ourselves. So uh, let's bring him in here. We got Dave. Uh, join us, Dave. Appreciate you taking the time, man. How are you doing? Outstanding. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be on, and it's it's always good to talk some football. Uh, it's great to it's great to have you, man. Uh, I I don't want to go and and go through and you know everything that went right or everything that went wrong or and all that stuff with your time with the Raiders. There's a lot of other things I want to get to, but I do want to start from the standpoint of you know I've been in a situation. Buck's been in a situation. A lot of people listening have been in this situation where things change abruptly. You think you, you know, you think you're going to be going on in a, in a job and all of a sudden it abruptly comes to an end. How, how did you deal with that in the immediate aftermath and, and what have you been able to learn since? Yeah, I think, you know, and I've always said this, I think, you know, life's all about perspective. And, and so, you know, obviously when you lose one of these jobs, it's, it's, um, it's very public. Um, it's, it's all across social media. And so, you know, you really worry about the, you know, your family, you know, my mom and dad, uh, my kids, my wife, and how they were going to handle things. I know I felt blessed to have been in that position. 
um, just blessed in life to, to you know, we're, health, we're healthy, we're happy. Um, I was doing something that I love to do. And so, you know, I, I think you have to put things in perspective. And so while there's some disappointment um, living, you know, living bitter, um, holding on to a lot of a resentment, it's just not a healthy way to go. Life's too short to, to, to live that way. And so while I was disappointed, um, you know, I was also thankful for the opportunity. And it, and it was really a focus on making sure everybody around me was OK um, and that, you know, that they that they knew that I was OK. And so. Um, you know, that's kind of how I handled, you know, the, the immediate aftermath. And th- then I think it's time to it's uh, time to self-reflect. You know, you have mm-hmm. to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know, there were some mistakes that I made. There were some things that I would have done differently. And I think I think it's good to go through that inventory and to because um, that's how you learn. And that's how we all learn and grow is by making mistakes and 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 looking at some of those things and also identifying the things that went well. And the things that, you know, we are proud of that we were doing there and, and um, pairing those things along with you. And so uh, I think those are the, you know, those are kind of the a little bit of the gamut of emotions that you go through. And then you got to step back and see what you can learn from the pr- process to apply in the future. You know, and thinking about learning from the process, like how are you occupying your time now? Like you've been in the grinder for so long now that you're out of it. How are you feeling, <laughs> your, how are you feeling those time blocks on your calendar? Yeah, it's different. My golf game has improved, you know, immensely here in the last <laughs> month. Um, not that it was ever good, um, but but my, my golf games have improved. And, you know, being out here in Vegas, obviously the weather's great so you can get outside. But, you know, invest, invest in a lot of time back in with my family um, and my kids and spending more time with them. You know, they would only get to see their dad maybe an hour a day, um, you know, throughout the week a lot of times. And so um, uh, a lot more chauffeuring back and forth from school to practices, things like that, staying healthy, you know, working out, staying in shape and also doing some football work, staying up on what's going around um, in the league. Um, like I said, kind of doing some some work on myself, um, keeping in contact with people throughout the league. But I'd say mostly, you know, it's focusing on family, uh, focusing on those relationships and and getting out there and playing a little golf. Uh, I want to touch on that a little bit in terms of this is really kind of getting to the thing about balance. And I look, I I think we've all probably been in situations and in, in especially early on in your career where there is no balance is not a word that's uh, that uh, works in the NFL. It is very, very dominant uh, of your time and, and thought process. Is there a way to do that job and, not, and really just, you know, think about coaching as well as, as personnel and, and maintain a, a, a positive home life? Because I know it's a big challenge for a lot of folks. Yeah, well, it's never going to be, I think the one thing, is, there's never going to be an equal balance um, mm-hmm. because the job just takes so much time and it takes so much effort. And so it's, it is always going to be a little bit slanted um, towards the lifestyle to, to the job, you know, that, that you're that you're working in. And so you have to have someone that understands that. Um, and, and I think you try to create balance the best way that you can. You know, for us and my family, we always try to live close to the facility. And oftentimes what I would do is... Um, just to give my kids some normalcy in terms of seeing their dad every day, I would come home around six o'clock in the evening. I would eat dinner with my kids. My kids are young. So I'd get them showered, get them cleaned up, give my wife a little break. And then once everything was settled, I'd head back to the office. And, you know, and so if I was home from six to seven thirty, maybe I was back at the office working from, you know, eight to ten thirty or eight to eleven. And so I had to sacrifice some sleep on my end to kind of create that balance and make that balance happen. But I thought it was really important for my kids to know, like, okay, I see my dad every evening. I might mm-hmm. take him to a, a practice and then go back to work. And so 
that was the way that I tried to create it during the week was, um, you know, have some flexibility that way. And that's what I would encourage my staff to do too, you know, is, is let's not, you know, let's not miss every practice. Let's not miss the important things at school. Um, let's not miss birthdays. There's ways that you can, whether you're coming in early, you're staying a little later, or you're working remotely from home, like we can manufacture more of that flexibility than we probably could have when we all first started in yeah. scouting. And it was just a different atmosphere. And so those were the ways that we tried to create it here in my house and that I tried to encourage our staff to create it too. I'm really fascinated by that last part of it. You talked about like remotely, whatever. I think we all had to adjust during the pandemic when it came to working and working differently or whatever. Coming out of the pandemic, what are some of the things that you learned in terms of how you had to work around the challenges that may have allowed you to kind of create a better environment for your staff where they can get some of that balance and stuff that everybody wants? Yeah, well, I I think the biggest thing is like before the pandemic, we all felt that all the work had to be done at the office, that you Mm -hmm. had to be sitting at your desk, you know, that you had to be um, in the building to get all of your work done. And I think coming out of the pandemic, you know, there was so much time we were all working from home. We were all working on Zoom. um, And lo and behold, people were still getting their work done. You know what I mean? (laughs) And and in a lot of ways, um, more efficient. Um, and also in, in a healthier lifestyle in terms of like we talked about creating more balance. And mm-hmm. so I think that there was just that stigma that was kind of stripped away after the pandemic that you can work from home. We can have a meeting and you don't have to be in the office. You know what I mean? We can still get together. We can still be productive. You can you can um, have a system at home where you have your cowboy, you have your computer, you know, and we can still interact and you can still get work done. So I think there was a lot of a stig- stigma, Bucky, that was stripped away. Um, that we had to be in the office and you had to be, um, you know, present there to get work done and, and be efficient. And we've found ways that you don't have to necessarily do that if you embrace it the right way. Yeah. So it turns out you can find out who the L4 is on kickoff and the team you're playing next week from, from home just as easily as you can right. from the office. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, it's funny, but that was the thing that, you know, I would tell a lot of guys in our office. It's like, you know, I'm not going to tell you when you have to stay at the office. Like you guys yeah. are 25, 30, 40 years old. Like what, what we're going to judge you on is the quality of your work. Yeah, get your and work that's done. What you'll be, and that's what you're going to be judged on. So if you're going to stay till 630 at night and then you're working at home from wherever to get work done then, and your work is good, then great. You know, and you can create a balance that way. That's great. But like we don't need to all be sitting in, uh, you know, four cubicles next to each other necessarily to get all our work done and be efficient. I want to go back uh, in time here, and we'll get to the New England stuff in in a minute, which is everybody's always trying to learn from from what you guys were doing there. But I want to go back to John Carroll. Um, I know so many hmm. guys from there. Buck does as well. Uh, it is like a, a mafia of of NFL guys, coaches, and personnel alike uh, that have come out of John Carroll. What is it about that place that's made it such a, a football hotbed? Yeah. Well, as, as you guys know, first, let's start off with Division Three football is non-scholarship. And so, you know, you're going there because you love the game. You're not going there to play in front of 50,000 people and, you know, schools getting paid for. And, and you two guys know better than anyone um, a, the passion for this lifestyle or the passion for football and everything that comes along with it. You have to love it, you know, to, to mm-hmm. do what we do and, and to sacrifice the time that we sacrifice. And so I think you have a collective of people that one love the game. 
And then two, um, John Carroll is also a place where you win a lot of football games. And so you're around winners and you're, and you're experiencing winning and you're seeing what that looks like and you're seeing what you know, accountability looks like and what high demands look like. And, and then the school's not easy either. And so there's the academic setting of having to prioritize time, how you balance, you know, how you balance tasks, um, how you create a plan to be efficient each day. And, and, and you guys know that those are a lot of the key things that make people successful in personnel, too. Um, and then obviously there's a pipeline that's been created. Mm-hmm. And that's very helpful, too. Um, yeah. because people that have gone from John Carroll that are in the league are going back and looking for people maybe with similar ideals and that similar work ethic. And now you've created this kind of cycle of people that are coming through there. Um, for me personally, it was the first place I went I went and was really around a lot of winners, um, people mm-hmm. that had won in high school. Uh, my coaching staff at John Carroll, um, they were used to winning. And I wasn't from a high, uh, the high school I went to, we didn't have like ungodly success. So it was really the first time I was around people that had won and had a winning attitude and had these high expectations. And um, it was something that shaped, you know, shaped me to have success here in the league, I think. You know, it's so funny that you bring that part up about winning. Um, I've worked for organizations, DJ worker organizations, where it was a priority to bring a bunch of winners in because you kind of feel like when you have winners and team captains, when you have a successful organization, they kind of already understand the secret sauce. So in transitioning to New England, uh, I do wonder, like when you're around a bunch of winners like that, what kind of people, what kind of traits are you looking at in people, not only just the players, but the people around to make sure that the winning continues? I think the one thing is uh, people with low ego. You know, I think, you know, when you have people with low ego, you have people that are focused on being great at the tasks tasks that they're given. And they're not focused on, um, you know, some ulterior motive or another angle or, you know, how am I going to get from point A to point B? They're just focused on being great in their role. And I think that's really critical in having, you know, a winning organization is having a collective of people that are just trying to be great right now where their feet are. And that was something that was really, you know, important in New England. And I think winners, you know, in general embody that embody that mindset. I think also at a high attention to detail. Um, you guys know how uh, how the details in this game, all these games, we watch them every week. The games are it's two or three plays. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And so you're winning on the margins, and I think you're winning on the margins in scouting too. And so a high attention to detail, um, I think, is a really critical piece of, of being a winner and being in a winning organization. And then I think open communication. You know, the ability to disagree, the the ability to feel confident as a young scout or a young coach to disagree with someone that's you know in a higher platform than you. Um, and and have fruitful conversations and be able to, you know, you guys know a lot of those disagreements, um, you have to come to a resolution. And so you dig a little deeper. There's a little bit more that goes into it. And whether that's on the coaching side or the scouting side, I think those are three, I could keep going, but I think those are three critical pieces to, you know, having this, a winning culture and having a winning organization. I want to uh, stay on that in terms of what you're looking for in the person, because it, it feels like at least when I go back and, and try and self-scout, I, I go back and find the majority of the misses are not what you saw in the field. It's, 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 the, it's the person, not the player that you end up missing on. Uh, in New England, you guys were you know known, I don't know how much of it was public, but just from having buddies that have gone through there, 
a very small draft board. Everybody else has got 150 plus names and New England might be 75 to 100 names on there. It was a very narrow pathway to get there. And we always start from the outside. Okay, smart, tough, and they can do one thing really well. And they're going to just focus on that and they'll put them in position to do that. But from the inside of those walls, is there something that we were missing there? Yeah, well, you hit on two of them. You know, I think the the, the foundation for what I've been taught and, and what I continue to look for and, and you know, something that um, was instilled in me from my time with the Patriots. First, let's start with just the, the intelligence piece and being smart. Yeah. Um, and we're talking about football intelligence, you know, for, for the most part here. But I, I think that guys that can come in quickly, not only learn their task and learn what their job is on in the, in the fundamental level, but guys that can learn new things every week or in game and mm-hmm. apply them on the field. Um, because as you guys know, there's a lot of adjustments that happen during the game. Um, and so I think uh, that that level of intelligence, um, we just talked about it. Games are decided by three or four plays every week. And a lot of those things that maybe the fans don't see it. A lot of them are mental busts. Our lo- yeah. A lot of them are miscommunications that result in negative plays that impact winning. And so I think being able to be, have a high football intelligence is really, is really important. You, you hit on the second one, toughness. And when we talked about toughness, it was physical, but even more importantly, it's mental toughness. It's, it's the ability to bounce back from the mistake. It's the, the, the mental toughness to be able to handle a lot of volume in your job. It's the mental toughness to be able to handle the pressure of your job and be able to understand that, like, you know, I have Bucky behind me. He's, he's, you know, nipping at the nipping at, you know, my heels trying to take my job. Can I still stay mentally tough in those situations and remain focused on how I'm going to be getting better each week and not worrying about the man behind me? So smart and tough were two really instrumental pieces. I think the other one was dependability, Um, being dependable on the field, but also being dependable off the field. It's so hard to win. And I'll talk about the off field piece really quick. It's so hard to win in the league that anything that's a distraction, anything that takes away from winning, whether it's, you know, having to, to, to worry about somebody, what, what they're doing off the field, or are they studying enough? Um, are they learning their craft enough? Like those different types of things are all little bits of energy that go away from focusing on winning. So you want guys that are going to be dependable in a to, dependable to be a professional, you know, quite frankly, and then be dependable on the field to execute their job. So the guy next to them knows that they can count on this guy on third and six in a critical moment of the game and, and that and that they can depend on them because that builds that that builds, you know, into the the whole, I would say, culture of the team and being able to believe that everybody's going to execute, you know, on 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 the same level and on the same page. So smart, tough, you know, dependable. I think another part that we added that, I you know, when we've talked about, you know, in Vegas is explosiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it goes away from the person, but just players that can, you know, have an explosive, uh, an explosive aspect to their game that can disrupt the game, whether it's disrupting the game, you know, making explosive plays on offense and disrupting the defensive uh, portion of the game or being able to disrupt the pocket, be able to being able to, to uh, disrupt at the catch point if you're a defensive back or a cornerback. But just like that explosive, you know, that explosive mentality um, is I think really important. And lastly, a passion for football. You have to love the mm-hmm. game to really be great at it. And, you know, guys are motivated by different things. And that's one thing that I learned, um, I'd say in the last few years, especially when you're getting more into the contract sides of things, you know, mm-hmm. some people, some players are motivated by legacy. 
And, and I think that's a really good player to have because they're motivated about being great. And you have other players that are money motivated. And I don't think that's necessarily a negative thing. Um, you know, maybe their passion for football, they love, they, maybe their, their desire and their love for football is a little bit less, but they are motivated by the financial side to be great. And, you know, I think you have to be a little bit careful with those guys when it comes contract time and and when you're going to extend somebody. Um, but I think finding out what players are motivated by, but ideally them having a high passion for just the love of the game. I think if you just take those things, smart, tough, dependable, and have a high passion for football. And you, I think that's a good platform that we felt to start from. You know, it's funny, uh, Dave, because I, I love all those traits. And I think they're really, really common with all organizations, whether it's football, basketball, whether it's the workplace and those things. Um, my, my thing to you would be like, if I'm an outsider and I'm coming in, but I want to take some of that, how can I take some of that and still be myself within that? So as you transition and went to the Raiders. How do you take those things that you learn, but still try to be Dave of the Raiders of Las Vegas, as opposed to Dave that was back there in New England? Is that a challenge to kind of carry that on? Yeah, well, I think part of the challenge, Bucky, is there's um, there's a stigma that, that comes with coming from New England. Um, and that stigma hasn't always necessarily been positive because a lot of guys have left New England um, and haven't, you know, haven't had, you know, I'd say maybe the success that, um, you know, was desired. So I think like, I think they're, they're, I think this is the key. You have your ideals and the hat they, they, you have the things that you believe in. You also have to be open-minded and flexible to other ideas coming from people from other organizations and not be afraid to instill some of those things um, and not be afraid to um, maybe adjust some of your ideals. And I think also, Bucky, when it comes to just team building, you have to understand where you're at as a team. And, you know, we couldn't have a draft board. We didn't have a draft board of 70 players, you know, with with, with the Raiders. We, we were in a position where, you know, when we got there, there was only 38 players under contract. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we had to have a little bit more flexibility on who we were going to bring in, um, really focus on maybe a little bit more on how we were going to develop these players, how are we going to maybe bring players along and develop their mental toughness or, you know, pour into them to, to uh, grow them into a more dependable person. You know, mm-hmm. we, we couldn't we weren't going to maybe have as many as the finished products that we had in New England because we had this infrastructure that was so strongly built, you know, in New England where we were really looking to find maybe five or six guys a year you know, to mm-hmm. plug in certain holes and things of that nature, where with the Raiders, we we were really building it from scratch. And so I think there's an open-mindedness to it. I think there's a little bit of understanding where you're at um, organizationally, and you may have to have some more flexibility, um, and you may have to adjust some things. So again, also for the conference that you're playing in too, let's not forget about that. Like we're mm-hmm. playing against Patrick Mahomes, we're playing against Herbert, you know, we we're playing against Russell Wilson. I think just from a team building philosophy too, how you're going to build a defense, how you're going to build an offense based on who you're playing twice a year was different than when we were in New England. And you have to be mindful of that too. And we'll be back uh, right after this break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Did you... um by the way, when you saw the Shohei Otani contract, did you have did you have a little Brady thought in your in your head when you saw that number come across, and then actually saw how it was laid out? Yeah, I, the, like once I saw the deferment of payments, you know, <laughs> that was something I could get behind. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the little easier pill to swallow when you see that sixty eight millions in two thousand and forty three. Yeah, and you know those immediate payments are only two, but um, you know obviously when we had Tom, you know Tom was um, Tom was very unique in that he wasn't focused on being the highest paid player. Um, at his position, or he wasn't focused on, okay, like these three guys are making this amount of money and I'm better than these three guys. So I need to be making that. And I don't fault players for thinking that way. That's a competitive aspect that players have too, you know, that, that they want to be paid uh, based on how good they think they are. And that's part of their motivation. Um, Tom was very unique, you know, the way that he saw the game and, and the way that he saw roster building. And he had a really good understanding for, for, um, hey, if I'm going to take, you know, below market value, that's going to help other parts of the team. And ultimately, that's going to lead us to winning championships and being highly successful, which which leads to all the other things. It leads to bigger contracts for you when you're mm-hmm. winning. Other teams see you as desirable. You know, it may lead to more endorsements. It may lead to, you know, more money. You get a lot of great things and we all prosper when we win. And sometimes you have to sacrifice at the at the front end to, you know, reap those benefits at the end when you're standing, you know, with that trophy at the end of the year. And so, you know, we were all blessed for Tom to have that mindset because it impacted all of us in our careers in a really positive way. You know, it's funny you talk about Tom having talked to a bunch of uh, former Patriots like they talk about the sacrifice that was made. And so you talk about the stigma that comes with the Patriot way or whatever. But in talking to them. I never got the sense of the negative connotation. When I talked to William McGinnis and others, they talked about how the team really bought into being to playing for one another. And so 
How hard is it as you're trying to build the team to dig a little deeper for the players that you're thinking about bringing in for them to have that attitude that, hey, man, I really want to win and I prioritize winning over the other stuff and I'm willing to whatever step back monetarily or even in a role to make sure that the team wins? really difficult. And it's really difficult on the pro free agency side specifically, because you don't get to spend all the time with the pro free agents that you do in college. You know, all the all the interviews that you're able to have at all star games and the combine and the and the 30 visits and, and, and you're going into the schools, you're talking to their academic advisors, you're talking to their position coaches. I feel like, you know, you're you're uh, you're able to get a, a bigger, uh, a better sense of the, the whole person. And as you guys know, guys change. And yeah, you have that information in free agency, but guys, you know, guys change when they get in the league, they're growing, they're maturing, money becomes involved, a lot of things change. And so you also, you often don't know exactly what that player is motivated by anymore in free agency. And one thing we focused on this last year specifically was recruiting or looking at guys in free agency that came from good programs. And came from women. We talked about winning environments. If you look at Robert Spillane, who mm-hmm. we signed in free agency from the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin loved Robert Spillane. Really, that's all I needed to know. That Mike <laughs> did not want Robert Spillane to come out of the building. That told me a lot about who Robert Spillane was. Or Marcus Epps coming from the Eagles organization, and us having a lot of respect for you know what they've done and and how they build their team and what their expectations are. And so. We focused, tried to focus a lot on guys coming from winning cultures, um, coming from programs in the league that we really respected, um, and along with other research that we would do to try to find those players that we felt were team first guys. And you know that's a lot of the digging that we do in, in the college process too. Um, and it's not easy; you can't find fifty three of those guys. But if you can find a core of those guys, and, and I think you know this is one thing that Bill taught us. Um, when it came to roster building, ideally, and this isn't something that's always perfect, but ideally you want your best players to be your best leaders, to be your hardest workers, and to be your highly most compensated players. And when you do that, you can build a healthy culture in the locker room because guys are looking like, and and I'll use the, the Raiders as an example, Max Crosby is one of our hardest work is our hardest. It was the hardest worker with the Las Vegas mm-hmm. Raiders. He's mm-hmm. also one of the best players and he's also a great leader and he's compensated it. You know, he's compensated highly too. And so when the other guys look at like, this guy's getting paid all this money and he's still here at five 30 in the morning, he still works consistently hard in practice every week. And you have a small collection of those types of guys. It bleeds down to the roster and it creates a really healthy locker room environment for yourself. I was uh, going back through. I'm seeing if I can pull it up right now. But um, I went back and I did this a long time ago. But we had Lionel Vital was with us uh, with yep. the Ravens for a few years. Mm-hmm. Who'd come from Bill, and he did a, a scout school presentation one year at training camp. And uh, he gave us Bill's notes on players, you know, position specifics and just nuggets on what he was looking for. Going back to the early night, I think it was like 1993 or something like that. And so I I posted it and then. Literally, you start looking. You start looking through the New England roster through this prism, and you're like, "Gosh, I think there's some absolutes in here. Like there were some non-negotiables uh, that Bill was looking for at position." So I'm just going to read one. This is yep. again. This is from the early '90s, and tell me if this if this maintained uh, throughout your time there. This is let's just do quarterbacks. Uh, 
Number one uh, is to make good decisions. Then arm size, physicality, toughness, leadership, guys look up to and have confidence in, a real competitor. Accurate rather than a guy with a cannon. Emphasis on our game will be on decision, ti- decision making, timing, and accuracy. Guy needs to be confident, intelligent. Uh, is, intelligence is important, but not as much as on-field awareness and judgment. Can't be sloppy fundamentally, unsound guy with ball handling techniques, etc. Uh, footwork drops, release, etc. QB has to be able to throw the ball with accuracy. Uh, and then, so this is the offense, the goals of the offense. This is, again, the early 90s. Run the ball, pick up the blitz, uh, pick up third down score. That was uh, that was going back. Sounds I mean, like a successful philosophy to me. Nothing <laughs> changed. I mean, and you can go through you can go through every position, especially I don't have the defensive one here, but like we talk about non-negotiables. Like we can talk about, okay, we can work with this, but like uh, uh, a corner that can't find and play the ball, like don't mm-hmm. touch him. We're done with him. Yeah. And he talked about different sizes. He was okay with different sizes, things like that. Safeties yeah. that were dumb. He's like, I don't care how athletic he is. If you have a dumb safety, he can't play. Were there, were there, did there uh, continue to be kind of the non-negotiables in certain position groups as you guys were adding to your rosters? Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll hit a couple on each side, but just taking the secondary, for for example, like you ha- have to be able to tackle. Yeah. You know, there mm-hmm. has to be a, and, and, and you don't have to be a, you know, a, tr- a trained, you know. Yeah, a trained killer. Get them there. on the ground. There has to be a willingness to tackle both at, for, let's talk about at the corner position. There's so much run force. You know, there's so many edge yeah. runs, especially the way that you see the game being played now. There's a lot more jet sweeps. There's a lot more getting receivers and different people, not just the running back, but different people to the edge of the defense. And so if your corners can't come up and force and tackle, uh, it's a liability. And so that was, you know, that was one of those non-negotiables. If you put on a, a corner and you watched a corner with Bill, and he may be able to cover pretty well, but if tackle after tackle is coming up where he's not showing up because there's no willingness to, there's mm-hmm. not that innate toughness to even want to do it. Um, he was going; he, that guy was not going to be lasting long on the draft board, or he was sliding down. Safety is the same thing. You know, Bill always talked about the safeties are the last line of defense. The reason they're called safeties is they need to make sure, like they they're the safety outlet to make sure that like that guy gets on the ground you know, before he gets into the end zone. And so safeties that didn't run for safeties that didn't tackle, those were some non-negotiables there um, on the defensive back position. Going back to the quarterbacks, you know, you hit on a lot of those things. But, you know, one thing that we talked a lot about is a quarterback has to be able to problem solve. You know, you have to be able to you're, you're out on the field. You have to be able to problem solve in the moment. Okay, what happens when the defense gives a look that wasn't a scouted look during the week? Can you problem solve and get us in the right play? What happens when, you know, the the X receiver all of a sudden has lined up on the wrong side of the formation and you don't have time to make that adjustment? Can you problem solve in the moment and get us into the right play or make an adjustment on the fly to make that play still successful? And so there's so much problem solving that takes place pre-snap. But then there's the problem solving that takes back. And this is why the position's so hard. I don't know if everybody understands this. Oh, yeah. When you think about being under center and taking five steps and a defense scattering in a bunch of different directions and being able to process what's happening and then problem solve in a split second to put the ball in the right place. We talk often about problem solving and, and, and the ability of the quarterback to do that in an efficient way. And I think the other thing that you – Um, hit on that's really important is you have to have a guy that can learn Mm -hmm. we forget that this is a this is the hardest position to play in sports you're walking into a calculus class 
when you step in as an NFL, as a rookie into an NFL building, can you learn? Can you study? Can you retain information? And then can you go apply it on the field or in practice? Can you take it? We, you hear it all the time. Can you take it from the board to the field? And I think those are a lot of things that, um, you know, that, that has to um, that has to apply to the quarterback position. The one thing I'd add that's new now, I think, with problem solving, a lot of it was um, often cerebral when yeah. it came from the, the brain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's still. But now guys can problem solve with their legs. You yeah. know, it's not the perfect play. It's not the perfect look. Um, but I can get out of trouble with my my legs and make a bad call, whether it's a bad offensive call or just a bad call versus a defensive look. And I can problem solve with my feet. And I think that's something that we're seeing more and more with quarterbacks today. So it's interesting. I'm going to take you out of the Patriots realm, but I'm talking about right now in quarterbacks because there's a lot of debate about Brock Purdy. And so everything that I hear you talk about, problem solving, a calculus class, smart, and those things. When I go back and I look at Brock Purdy, I'm just going to use him as the example. Played a significant number of games in college. Was very successful as a winning quarterback. We had a chance to see that on tape year after year after year after year. Do you think the Brock Purdy example is going to change a little bit in terms of what we're looking for at that position? Because he's been able to have so much success coming from a low round draft status. Yeah, I I think it's interesting. I think there's, I think it will, but I still think as scouts, we're still often in, in coaches and things like that, enamored by size you know, enamored by arm strength and enamored by athletic talents. And when you when you look at, you know, Brock doesn't maybe stand out in all of those different areas, but he does stand out. Like you said it, Bucky stands out as a winner. He stands out as someone that worked in a pro style offense. You know, Iowa State had about felt like sometimes they had like seven tight ends on the field <laughs> when, they, when they were out there. Um, but what, what I think it, it does is it's going to have some people pause and look at more of the intangibles, really focus more on the neck up. And I still think you're going to find those guys uh, at, a, at a value place in the draft mm-hmm. because they're not going to have maybe the size and those types of things that drive them up the draft board. But, it, it you know, we looked at Aiden O'Connell, for example, yep. coming out of Purdue. Um, we saw a lot of those traits, you know, that, that – that, you know, Brock had that he was successful with. Now, um, you know, Brock has a little bit more athleticism than I think people, you know, maybe gave him credit for because you didn't see it at Iowa State all the time. It was much a three-step or a five-step and boom, get the ball out. You didn't see a lot of, you know, maybe creativity or loose plays. And he's done a little bit more of that. But I think Brock's success can't stop, you know, the scouting world from, you know, pausing a little bit and looking a little bit deeper at those neck-up traits and, and, and making sure that we're not, you know, um, just putting a guy to the side and, and pushing him down the draft board because maybe he isn't 6'4", 225 and can't throw at 60 yards. Oh, that's that's great stuff, man. This has been so fun, Dave, going uh, going through all these different topics. I, I've got one more for you, and we appreciate your time. But uh, we're talking about, you know, learning about players and evaluating players one of the things that's always fascinating to me is what are the right questions to get the right answers, um, especially in a process where in the draft, especially these guys are so trained up and they're so programmed. Did you have a go-to? Was there a go-to question when you were meeting with a free agent or, or maybe when you get a chance to meet with some of these guys going through the draft that you thought could elicit a real answer that could help you? Yeah, well, you know, um, it's a good question. And one thing that we tried to do um, with Las Vegas when we were going to interview a player too 
is make the interview very um, specific to that player. And so we put a lot of time on the front end, you know, understanding instead of just having every interview the same, understanding what, what what were the things on this specific player that we needed to dig out? What is our game plan? We had a game plan, if you will, for each individual interview. And you have mm-hmm. your stop questions, um, but you also have an individual game plan. You know, one thing that we were always curious about that I thought was um, we that elicited some really good answers and some really good insight when we talked to players it was it was kind of around the it was kind of around the, the bigger picture of emotional intelligence. Yeah. And what we asked was, you know, what was what what's been the most difficult thing that you've experienced in your athletic career, but also what's the most most difficult experience that you've went through in your personal life? And mm-hmm. how did you handle that emotionally? Who did you lean on in that process to get through it? Um, how did you come out the other end and what did you learn from it? And I think that question in general in both of those areas, you can find a a lot, one, about um, someone's mental toughness, someone's general maturity, um, someone's um, how they look at life. Um, Are they a pessimist? Are they an optimist? Um, Did they use tools? And sometimes it's, you know, I really struggled mentally with this. I went and sought some resources and, you know, I talked to a counselor. And I worked with mm-hmm. someone professionally to help me get through that. To me, that's a, that, that was a positive, mm-hmm. you know, like looking at guys that used tools and used resources. And, you know, and not that this is a negative, but the, the bigger cause with, for, of concern was when you had a guy that didn't have anything, you yeah. know, that hadn't went through anything, that didn't have something that they had really struggled with or a tough thing to go in your personal life. Because you, all, you guys know when you go into the league, there's going to be adversity. There's going to be struggles and challenges. And I was we were more concerned about the guys that maybe um, they were very blessed to have that lifestyle, but that that didn't have maybe some things that they had to overcome, whether it was an injury or whether it was something in their personal life, because you didn't know how that was going to equate when you know they're going to face challenges once they get to the NFL. I love it. Uh, Buck, another example of. You know, you notice he didn't say, uh, tell me how tough you are on a scale of one to 10. Okay. I cringe every time I hear it. Oh, yeah, grade this on a scale of one to five. How would you grade this? Well, if you don't say a five, I mean, what are we doing here? Anyways, that, that's a great one. I, by the way, my, mine, uh, and we, we talk about this topic all the time, but one of the ones we've talked about together that's elicited good answers going forward, uh, I, is, is, uh, tell me your, tell me, walk me through your plan for a week. You played, you 100%. played TCU on Saturday. It's mm-hmm. Sunday morning. Walk me through your week. What was your plan? And the whole point being, there's no right plan. There's no wrong plan. Either you care enough to have a plan or you don't. Yeah, percent. That was a staple for us too, and that's a great question to you know uh, understand a lot about someone's maturity, um, someone's passion for football. Um, was it something where they were kind of led on a, a leash, if you will, and their plan was dictated by the staff? Or, or was it something that they created on their own? And, and that was a great question to, to really dig on a person's, um, like you just said it, their mindset, how they prepare, what their maturity is, how much they care, and all those things from just a simple open-ended question like that. No doubt. Well, Dave, this has been fun, man. The time has flown by. We kept you longer than we intended to, but it was, <laughs> uh, it was a blast, man. It's just anytime you get scouts together – uh, you know, we get a chance to have a lot of different guests on here, but it's just there's like some magic that happens when you get guys that have uh, that have had that cheap coffee and and, and pulled those long nights. There's just <laughs> oh, something no. there. <laughs> hey, well, any chance I can get on to talk football with you guys, I, I would yeah. I'd love the opportunity. It was fun, and um, I appreciate appreciate both of you and what you guys do for the, for for the league too. You guys 
Uh, like I told these guys before I came on for the for the listeners, um, when I was on the pro side, these were two guys that I would listen to to hear what was going on on the college side and hear what you guys were um, seeing and the prospects that you liked and things of that nature because you guys have done it. And so um, you guys do a great job and it was you know fun coming on. Well, I appreciate you taking the time for us today. We'll definitely do it again. There's a lot more ground uh, we'd love to cover. Sure. In the meantime, keep your head down, okay? And then, Miss, just keep that front arm blocked as we get all the way through. We get a little more extension. That's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying to do. It's easier said than done, as we all know. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it, uh, Dave. We appreciate you, man, big time. All right, fellas, take care. All right, Buck. That was a fun conversation, man. Uh, Dave, I, I didn't, I didn't really know him uh, going into that conversation. I don't want to go through all the Raiders stuff, but I, I thought it was, uh, it was fascinating, especially getting some of that New England uh, knowledge that uh, that we got there. Well, DJ, I'm not gonna lie. Like, like for me, it's always a, a selfish project when we have guys from the Patriots because as a coach, you're always trying to figure out what's the secret sauce to their long term success. And just to hear him articulate it, one, um, it's not only like what Bill Belichick does in terms of on the field, but it's everyone clearly understanding what the ideals of the organization are, what the values are, everyone understanding their role and how clearly it was communicated. The way that he was able to kind of spit that back, you can tell that that has been hammered time and time again. And I think that's what the good organizations, the good leaders do. They make sure everyone clearly understands, here's the mission, here's the vision, here's what we're about. We talked about the non-negotiables. I think it was clear and apparent that they uh, resonated with him. Yeah. And uh, again, a couple of things that we've talked about in the past, like court corners, we've been talking about that for years. Uh, yeah. Hey, you can't tackle, you can't play anymore, man. You're going to get brought into the run fits. Like you, you, it's hard. You can't no, hide. No, you can't hide anymore. No, 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 no more cor- cover corners in our league. Yeah. Like if you want a good tackling defense, you got to bring about good tacklers. And so everyone, all 11 have to be able to get people down. Yeah, no doubt. Well, hope you guys enjoyed that one. It was a fun one. Hope you have a, a wonderful weekend. Do want to remind everybody uh, the Saturday showdown is back this Saturday with an exclusive triple header live on NFL Network. You can watch the Vikings and the Bengals. That's 1 p.m. Eastern, followed by Steelers, Colts, and Broncos, Lions. That's the primetime game. Saturday, December 16th, only on NFL Network and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Uh, we'll be back next week with five fresh episodes. So until then, we'll see you right here on Move the Sticks. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals 
when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 4-14-24 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.